Hey, good morning, church family. Happy Easter. It's great to be with you on Resurrection Sunday. Well, as you can see from that camera angle, the campus is empty, the room is empty, but um, hey, we are still gathered together, and it is good to be with you this Resurrection Sunday. I trust your family's great, and I trust this sermon and this time together will really bless you um, wherever you're at this Easter morning. Hey, uh, uh, we've been all hearing this word, right? Right? Um, uncertainty, right? Uncertainty. Well, well, here's what I did. Um, I've been processing this word a little bit, so I looked it up. I wanted to see what the definition was, and so I looked it up, and here's the definition, okay? You might want to write this down. Here we go. The state of being uncertain. You might say, time out, Pastor Chris. Um, I understand your schedule's kind of thrown off, but you really need to study a little bit harder than that. I mean, that's your best definition. I mean, that's really what I found. I looked this up, and this is really what it was. The state of being uncertain. So I, I gotta have more than that. I gotta have a little more depth than that. And so I noticed there were some synonyms, some other words that describe this uncertainty. And watch this, unpredictability, unreliability, precariousness, even doubt. And so I started working through that. The state of of living in unpredictable times. The, the state of living in um, times where feel things like uh, are unreliable. Uh, the state of precariousness, am I in danger? Do, is there threat around me? Uh, the state of, and, and this is where it can kind of intersect with our spiritual lives, uh, doubt, uncertainty. And, and here's, here's what's um, concerning about uncertainty, uncertainty can lead to some emotions. I, I want to show you four quick. What um, disheartenment, just overall feelings of defeatment. Yeah, you, you should hear uh, young people that have lost their senior year. Uh, the, the, um, we have athletes who've lost their spring sports. Graduations have been lost. There were people looking forward to their, their proms and banquets. And, and, and those things are lost, especially right here in the state of Pennsylvania where we're at. They're gone. And there's a sense of defeatment. But, but far worse than that, there are people who've actually lost loved ones. Hey, maybe it hasn't hit your town. And praise God if it hasn't. But there are people who are incredibly disheartened by this because they've lost people they love right in the counties surrounding us. There's also a feeling of discouragement. For many people have been laid off or, or just don't understand why this is happening or, or how long it's gonna last. And, and some are just feeling very empty during this time. And, and like, why work on this? Why prepare for the future? I don't even know what's gonna happen. Uh, some are feeling even disillusionment. They're kind of just disappointed. And kind of, can, can I be transparent? I'm kind of disappointed we're not together this Sunday, aren't you? I mean, what a great time it would be gathering here on Easter morning together. We long for this day. I'm kind of disappointed. I don't really feel disillusioned, but there's some disappointment. But, but even for some, there's just doubt, just unbelief that, that, that um, we're going to get through this or, or that the country could bounce back or, or just whether the church will bounce back or, or their company will bounce back or their own families. There's just this overwhelming doubt surrounding this too. And so there's a lot of emotions that can come out of uncertainty because here's what I've been wrestling with. It feels like something happened. And so um, I was trying to put into words, what happened, okay? And I don't know if this is original to me because I've been hearing it a lot across media circles, but for me, this line came to me uh, um, when this kind of all went down. And, and here it is. This feels like life is just in a pause. In fact, that's what I named my journal entries during this time period, life in the pause. 
just navigating uncertainty. Um, who's holding the remote right now in your house, right? Um, they kind of have a sense of control, right? They can turn me up and make me louder or they can turn me down. They can turn me off, they can pause me and make fun of the faces that I would be making when they pause me. But, but doesn't it feel in some ways, if we, if we know this as believers, that God's a sovereign God, it feels like life just got hit on, on pause. But God's always working. So what's he trying to do during this time of uncertainty? Well, we know he's gonna work it out together for the good to those who love him. We know that truth is in scripture. But when we feel discouraged, disheartened, and even wrestle with doubt, we start to question whether that's gonna happen. Can I ask you a question? How have you been handling uncertainty? Have you been wrestling with any of those emotions? Today, I want to offer you some certainty amid uncertainty. If I hear one more pastor talk about God works everything out together for the good, how is this good? I mean, seriously, people are without jobs. I mean, we have people dying throughout our nation. Hospitals are filling up. People are hiding in fear. And you want to call this good? I mean, please, please, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't see the good in it. And, and come on, Pastor, you're up there with your pretty little tie on and your auditorium's empty, if you didn't notice, okay? How's that good for your church? How, how could God work this out? I mean, I, I gotta be honest, when I hear somebody say they can give me certainty amidst uncertainty, I, I'm not buying it. I, I don't see how you, you can ever look at this situation that way. But whatever, you got me here Easter. My family wants me to watch this video. So um, I'm hoping you deliver. I really believe there's a lot of people who need to hear this message today. And so we're gonna continue in our series, Lions. And we're gonna talk about how that roaring lion, the devil, he roars the roar of fear. But there's another lion in scripture, the lion of Judah, who roars the roar of faith. And depending on who we listen to during this time, will dictate what certainty we have amidst uncertainty. Heavenly Father, use this message today to encourage us, inspire us, and help us to walk like lions right into this uncertainty and see that you are with us the entire time. Thank you, Lord, for being able to gather here online together and study your great word. I pray it encourages all who are listening today. In Jesus' name. Amen. How do you get certainty amid uncertainty? Well, I believe there's a word that can help with that. And I believe the word is hindsight. You say, what do you mean? Um, hindsight's an interesting word. It helps you to look at a certain circumstance with a broader perspective. How many of you are really great at knowing what the Eagles should have done on Monday after Sunday's game? How many of you are really great at, at knowing what could have happened or should have happened? How, how much are we seeing, even in politics, people going, well, in hindsight, well, well child of God, we have hindsight. We, we know how the story ends. And so when we watch 
the world through our lens, we have a hindsight. And that hindsight is victory. And, and so I want to use hindsight to show you how uh, we came up with going with Daniel 6. Because I, I prepared multiple messages for this Easter Sunday. I wanted to do something about a resurrection um, message. I didn't necessarily want to be in Daniel. I wanted a resurrection message. And, and so I was praying through this, and, and I've been thinking, okay, what does hindsight tell me I should preach about this Easter Sunday? Well, I want to show you a picture, and it's from March 8, 2020. Yeah, that's the last time I preached on a stage with a live audience. I have the word hindsight underneath the, the picture. It, hindsight means an understanding of a situation or event only after it has happened or developed. You know, in hindsight, back that Sunday, I wish I would have maybe shook a few more hands because that might be the last time I ever shake a hand. I wish I would have reached out to some of the seniors that we're not even allowed to go visit I, I, I think about, in hindsight, some of the things I wish I would have done. But see, I didn't know. I didn't know that would be the last time we were gathered together. I bet that place would have been a lot more full that Sunday, even though it was a very big Sunday. If we would have known, we wouldn't be meeting for weeks. See, hindsight tells us that. But I was thinking, how can hindsight help me go to the passage that you have for us, Lord, on this particular Easter? Yeah, and so I started thinking through the past sermons. God has uniquely used this Daniel series in my life and, and, and the church's life to guide us through this time. And, and working on this series back in January, February, I had no idea I'd be preaching predominantly, maybe the whole series in an empty room. But each week, God has uniquely given us a great specific message for the current crisis we're going in. From Daniel 1, conviction among conformity. Uh, Daniel 2, um, prudence amid panic. Uh, Daniel 3, trust amid testing. This has been a test for some of us. Um, Daniel 4, reason amid ruin. Some of us have felt ruined through this and we're trying to find reason. Um, recklessness amid risk. I mean, there's a danger of being reckless amid this risk. And so I was thinking through hindsight as I was, I was looking at different chapters to preach on and I went, you know what? You know what hindsight says? Stick with Daniel. And so I opened Daniel 6 and said, Lord, this is going to feel silly. Uh, the church is going to be like, really? We're going to do Daniel and the lion's den on Easter Sunday? Shouldn't we be doing a resurrection message? And, and I looked at Daniel 6 through the hindsight of the resurrection story and knowing the resurrection story. And I read it again. And I'm going to tell you, I was astonished. I was astonished by how much I see the resurrection story in Daniel in the lion's den. Have you ever seen it? I really truly believe it'll blow your mind. O open up your scripture, grab your phone, take notes if you like, but I want to show you Daniel 6 through the perspective of the resurrection story and let it come to life for you and bring certainty amid uncertainty. Let's open the text. As we begin the, the text, we're going to look at this great story through hindsight. Here, here's how it begins. It pleased Darius 
to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Okay, okay, what's going on? If you recall, just last week, Belshazzar was ruined by his arrogance. And the writing on the wall said, your kingdom is done. Cyrus, okay, the great king of Persia came in and took over the Babylonian empire, crushed it. And now the Medo-Persian empire is ruling. Do you remember in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was the golden head and then there was a body of iron and had two arms. Well, that's the Medes and the Persians. It's a lesser empire than what was Nebuchadnezzar's, but they're now ruling just as Daniel said in the interpretation of the dream. And so now with the Mede-Persians, Darius is in charge of that Babylonian area and he has put Daniel, who's most likely well into his 80s now, in a massively high position being a Jewish exile. Scripture tells us a little bit about this. Look at this. It says this. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I believe the Holy Spirit, it came on um, children of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. It's with us at all times once we know Jesus Christ our Savior. But the Holy Spirit seems to be with Daniel and it was in him and, and the king planned to set over the, him over the whole kingdom. I mean, Daniel just kept getting elevated because of who he was. He was distinguished among men. Let's continue. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. What? Well, were they jealous? I mean, what was this? Was this racism? For Daniel was a Jewish exile? I mean, why would they do this? Um, was it his integrity or maybe his faith? Really, it seems the motive was jealousy. Daniel, with regard to the king, but they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault. Wow, if people wanted to try a fault, to find a fault with you, do you think it'd be hard for them to do? With Daniel, they couldn't find one. Wow. Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him at all. No fault was found in him. Wow, what an incredible, incredible character. Let's continue. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so they, they begin to put this conspiracy plot against him and, and they're gonna do it in regards to his, his faith and what he has grounded himself in. I mean, does this sound familiar at all? I mean, does this ring a bell at all? L let me point out what I'm trying to say here. Distinguished among men, no fault found in him, and a conspiracy plot raised up against him. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Jesus? Then, these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Oh, the old live forever trick. Right, right. All the high officials of the kingdom all the high officials of the kingdom? Isn't Daniel one of the high officials of the kingdom? 
All right, so clearly this was a lie. Uh, um, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. So, so they got this organized scheme of betrayal going. It, it continues. Um, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, now, the Babylonians, they burned people alive in their furnaces. The Persians, they threw them into hungry lion's dens. And this is what they want done. They're setting Daniel up to be punished by execution. Wow. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so they cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. The ploy is symbolically sealed. See, during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, it was um, an absolute monarchy. Nebuchadnezzar literally could do whatever he wanted. He could kill who he wanted. He could raise up who he wanted. Nobody, nobody could question him. During the Medes and Persians, it was a constitutional monarchy. So they had to develop laws that they had to abide by. If King Darius signs this, it is written in stone. You're not, you're not rolling that stone away. Darius, it seems like his pride, oh sure, yeah, let's worship me, got to him. Darius signed it. Sound familiar? Organized scheme of betrayal. Punishment by execution. Ploy symbolically sealed. Do you see the passion? Do you see the resurrection story beginning? When Daniel found out that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. When he found out, he went home. Isn't that interesting? I mean, here's a guy that's so high-ranking. Why didn't he go, hey, excuse me? He went home. What did he do? He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. This is something he continued to do. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Peril led to prayer. When Daniel found out his life was hanging in the balance, when he lived in this uncertainty, he went back to what he could control. And that was prayer, what he had previously done, three times a day towards Jerusalem. You say, say why, why did he do that? Here's something interesting. I want you to read you First uh, Kings 8, 48 through 49. Um, Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple, um, he, he, he said this. If we ever disobey God or get away from you, all right? Um, he writes this. If, if, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in their land of their enemies who have taken them captive, if, if we ever, if our people, if, our, if the Jewish people ever go into captivity, if they, if they pray to you toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, 
the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name. Then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Daniel knew scripture. He would go in, open his windows towards Jerusalem and pray because he knew scripture and he'd appeal to it. He went back to the things that were certain when he was amid uncertainty. Peril led to prayer. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. Oh, they got him. Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition against any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Their, their eyes is like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's see what he said. The king answered and said, well, the, the thing stands fast according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which, which cannot be revoked. It's written in stone. I mean, this is done. Then, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Not only does he not pay attention to your injunction, he does it three times a day, framed amid petition and plea to his God. Wow. Remember, Darius loved Daniel. Look at his reaction. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed in his, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. I, I gotta find a way out of this. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He did everything a human could possibly do. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. If I'm Darius, aren't you kind of thinking, I know that you trapped me, evil men. Daniel now is accused of treason or breaking a law that Darius sealed himself. Peril led to prayer. Framed amid petitioning and making a plea. Accused of treason. Sound familiar? Our Savior, knowing he was about to be betrayed, went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed. And made petition with God. And plead, let this cup be passed from me. While he was praying, they came to the garden. Judas, followed by the soldiers. They trapped him and accused him of treason. I see the resurrection story in the book of Daniel. The king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. A stone is laid in place. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. What? What? 
Daniel's thrown into the lion's den to be ripped apart by lions? Look, look, I'm an educated person. I, I, I understand this. The Medo-Persian Empire, they had lion's dens. The lions would rip them apart as they were coming down because the emperor starved the lions, okay? And so, so God allows Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den? I mean, give me a break. I mean, this guy's been so faithful to God. I mean, all his life he served God. He stepped up for him time and time again. And this is what God does for him in his time of need. I mean, when life is that uncertain, this is the God you want me to think of and look towards for certainty? I mean, my word. Hopefully the king steps up for him and, and bails this God out. Scripture says the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. It's sealed. This cannot be changed. This is going to be the way it is. The king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and his sleep fled from him. He's unwilling. He didn't want to do this. He's an official that's kind of been pushed into this by the cries of the many people that want Daniel dead. But it's amazing. It, it seems like within Darius there's this flicker of hope that Daniel's God might deliver. And he's up all night. He can't wait for daybreak to at least run to where the stone was put in place and see, and see if God would deliver. So we have a stone that was laid in place, sealed so that nothing might be changed and enforced by unwilling executor. Sound like Pilate? Sound like the situation of our resurrection story? What will happen? Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? We see running to the stone at daybreak. Just pray. Something may have happened. And look. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever! Can you imagine the emotion of the king when he heard that? My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. I, I've, with victory over sheer death. And then, and then here's what happened. The king was exceedingly glad Okay, I don't know if there was a dance of joy. I don't know what happened here, but he's exceedingly glad. And he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. Raise him up, 
raise him up. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God even amid uncertainty. We have running to a stone at daybreak, victory over death, and arising up out of the grave. Does that sound familiar? Wow. Resurrection story. When you look at Daniel 6 with the hindsight of what happened, being a New Testament believer, reading about an event that took place before the resurrection, we see it's foreshadowing of the resurrection story, but we see the resurrection story in the book of Daniel and in the great epic story of Daniel in the lion's den. Well, what what happens? Well, folks, there's something that happens based on the work of Jesus Christ. We see suffering always comes before exaltation. In order to have victory, you've got to have defeat. And amidst the uncertainty of that defeat, and amidst the, the uncertainty of the suffering, there is one thing that is certain that we see throughout Scripture. Exaltation comes after suffering. And the king commanded. And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den themselves. They, their children, and their wives. Whoa, 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 whoa. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Look what happens. Then the king Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are, are, are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And then look what happens. You might expect it if you've been following along in our series. Every time Daniel steps out in trust and faith, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never come to an end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven. And on earth he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And he, yes, you guessed it, promoted Daniel again. Wow. I think I judged that story a little too soon. God wasn't finished yet. (laughs) He did deliver for Daniel. But, I mean, that's Daniel. I mean, that was then. Could God, could God deliver me? I mean, is he still doing that kind of thing? (laughs) Because, I mean, this Easter, I would just still love to know if there's any hope for a guy like me. The God who delivers and rescues. How good is it to know that hindsight says God is going to deliver and he's going to rescue? How good is it to know 
that hindsight says we can be certain of that in the midst of this uncertainty. You might say, how can you be so certain? Well, come on, we just saw it. He's still rolling stones. Daniel, the stone was removed and he was rescued. Why? Because hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ would have a stone rolled away and rise up from the grave himself. And he's still rolling stones. And he wants to do that in your life. How are you handling uncertain times? How? Are you more like Darius? And you're up all night? And you're fretting? And you're panicking? Because you want to believe God's good? But disheartenment, discouragement, disillusionment, maybe even doubt, is winning the day? Or are you a Daniel? You don't listen to the roar of fear. You hear the roar of faith. And you're praying. You're on your knees. You're going to the one who is certain, even amid uncertainty. You say, Chris, how can you be certain? Because the Old Testament, the story of Jesus Christ, the story of the resurrection, all of these things, Jesus even told us, were given to us to bring assurance because the best predictor of any future behavior by God is his past behavior. The best predictor of any future event is past events. Ask a coach if he wants to know how to play a team that's coming up that Friday night or Sunday. He's going to go back to previous game tape and he's going to watch and he's going to say, I saw how they did this in the past. They're going to do this again. I saw how God's worked in the past. He's going to do it again. He's still rolling stones and I can put hope into that that is my certainty amidst all uncertainty wherever you're at today whether you're skeptical of this message or whether you're locked in with great joy this resurrection Sunday know this he can roll any of your stones maybe you're disheartened today Maybe you're discouraged today. Maybe you're disillusioned today. Maybe you are full of doubt today. Well, you're in good company because all of Jesus' disciples for three days lived in the pause. He was dead. Hope was gone. Mary and Martha were disheartened. They watched him die. They saw him. They made eye contact with him on the cross. And they're defeated and discouraged by the loss of the pause. But Jesus showed up. And three days later, he rolled their stone away. <laughs> and he went, they went from disheartened to rejoicing with a renewed hope. He's alive. Maybe, maybe you're discouraged. Peter was. He had denied Jesus three times. 
we find him in the pause, out in a boat fishing again. He's lost, he's empty. He was following Jesus and now he's gone. He's discouraged. But three days later, he rolled away Peter's stone. And, and he showed him renewed purpose. And he set Peter up to be the rock. And he'd go on to preach the gospel and share the good news like no other preacher before. From discouraged to courage. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe, maybe you're walking on the road to Emmaus like many of his disciples were. How could this have happened? What's the plan here? I don't get it. And you're full of, of, if you're just honest, disappointment. For three days, his disciples lived in that pause. But Jesus showed up on the road to Emmaus and he took their disillusionment and he turned it into gratification. And they said, did our hearts not burn while we walked with him? They had a renewed perspective that only the pause could possibly bring for how grateful they were to come out of it. And maybe you're Thomas and you come into Easter full of doubt and disbelief. Maybe we don't get your life, you think. Maybe we don't understand it. You don't understand how I was raised, how I've grown up, and you're full of doubt and discouragement. But that same Thomas who lived in the pause for three days had Jesus walk up to him and said, Thomas, look at my hands. Touch my side. And that doubter, he turned into a man of complete trust because he saw renewed assurance that Jesus rose from the grave. You say, Chris, how can you have certainty amidst all this uncertainty? How can you have that? Child of God, here's why. He's still rolling stones and he wants to roll your stone away. Call on the name of the Lord. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He wants to roll your stone away of any defeat, discouragement, doubt, disheartenment, and he wants to make you new. Even today, let this be the day he proves to you that he's still rolling stones. And when you look back at this COVID-19 crisis, you'll look at it in hindsight and you'll say, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it forced me on my knees so that he can rise me up again. Rise up, rise up wherever you are and join the celebration of Easter. The same God who delivered Daniel the same Jesus who came roaring out of that grave wants to roar into you courage during this time. Child of God is still rolling.